Shachtan, an Indo Askelige. Time in Mon Irok the Yen of Chacht Erachor, Agasuligum, a Makan Shaw, Gurfeder Echor, Inuik Kart, Len of Winterfein. Skilti, Fis, Turmi. Tashe Dochretche, Nach Vetok, Ara, Igornamion, and Kestian Echo. Vien Talam again Omgrev, Orkar Nrachtum. Find us on all the usual podcast platforms. On this week's Big Tech Show, when will cars safely drive themselves on our streets? And who in Ireland is providing the technology to help them do that? We talk to one of the country's biggest automotive autonomy entrepreneurs. I have BMW Drive Assist in my own vehicle and it is much, much safer because we are all prone to distraction, especially when we're on the motorway from Limerick to Dublin, for example. We've all been there where you actually forgot a whole section of the road. So I would say if you take it from a safety perspective and it does allow you to kind of relax. The Big Tech Show, available on all podcast platforms. If you like the Indo Daily, you can follow us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Today on the Indo Daily, is there any room to improve Ireland's rental market? Another week, another strand to Ireland's housing crisis. This time, Airbnb, which has come under quite a bit of criticism, it has to be said, in recent times for taking homes out of the rental market, now wants the government to set up a register of approved short-term lets so it can essentially prevent or block non-registered landlords from using its site. Now, between this, the ongoing headache for people trying to find any kind of affordable places to rent across the country, a shortage of properties for sale and a flood of private landlords exiting the market. Is there any solution in sight for renters, buyers and indeed investors alike? I'm Siobhan McGuire and joining me today to discuss as much as we possibly can in 20 minutes on the shambolic state of our rental market is tech editor of the Irish and Sunday Independent and host of the Big Tech Show podcast, Adrian Weckler. When I talk to the CEOs of big tech companies coming into Dublin now, they do not talk about accommodation as a problem. Why? To them, three grand a month is not an issue. And managing director of Sherry Fitzgerald, Marion Finnegan. The rental crisis is probably um, and I, I say this with a lot of experience, the worst I have ever seen in any market. Adrian, when we talk about the rental market, inevitably Airbnb comes up too. Now, you had a piece in the Irish Independent this week about all of this. Can you tell me a little bit more? Yes. Yeah, so uh, Airbnb has called on the government to set up what it calls a national register of hosts. And the idea behind this is that to abide by local planning laws for the purposes of letting out your home or property you you own in Ireland, you have to uh, essentially apply for uh, a change of use uh, planning permission to local authorities. A lot of people aren't doing that and letting out property on Airbnb anyway. And this is part of the conversation when we talk about the housing crisis in terms of homes, apartments, houses, which could be part of the long-term rental stock which are being let out in Airbnb. So 
what Airbnb has proposed is for this national register of hosts to be set up by authorities, either local authorities or the government, so that it could deny or refuse listings to anyone who does not have that registration. It's, in other words, it is proposing a new layer of administration that it believes would uh, would encourage greater compliance and adherence to letting laws, and thereby the the assumption is uh, contributing positively to returning more housing stock into the long term rental. Marion, can you give me a sense of exactly what is happening in the rental market? I mean, we know it's an absolute nightmare for people trying to find rental properties. Um, and, and we hear so much about, you know, uh, supply and demand and there's not enough properties out there. What is going on? I think, uh, and I think that the whole Airbnb story has emerged because we have a particular problem with the rental sector. Now, when we talk about a housing crisis, we seem to be talking for about 30 years now, uh, whether prices were too high or too low, etc. But the rental crisis is probably, um, and I, I say this with a lot of experience, the worst I have ever seen in any market. We had a situation back when the market was incredibly strong during the Celtic Tiger, where there was this flood of investors into the market. And when the market crashed, it was all the investors' fault, for want of a better description. Mm. And that was the way it was painted. But what people sort of forgot in that journey is that landlords provide a very essential service to an economy. Um, and they do to every property market. What we looked at in Ireland is we must fix this. So we'll bring in the professional rental sector, the PRS sector. So big, large, multinational uh, companies coming in, investing in the development and the ownership of large um, scale rental accommodation, which sounds fantastic. And it is fantastic. It is part of the solution. But we're a very sparsely populated country. So if I'm coming in and I'm going to build 200 or 300 units for rent, I will do it in a highly populated area. I won't do it in Sligo, Mullingar, Banlasloe and most of Ireland. So I'll head for Dublin and if I Dublin market is saturated, I might look at Cork. I won't look too far beyond that. So but what we've done in the interim is we've heavily taxed your private landlords. So they're paying 52% tax. There's it's a very regulated industry and with their feet, they're talking. And for the last 10 years, we've been losing thousands and thousands and thousands of landlords out of the market. And what we really need to do is get to the nuts and bolts of why the private investors are leaving the marketplace and regulate that, actually control that really, stop that exodus of, of private landlords and actually encourage them back in. That is the solution to the rental crisis. The Airbnb is a little bit of noise on one side, which is creating a lot of headlines, but not necessarily part of the solution. If landlords were incredibly profitable or enjoying this, you know, great status, we wouldn't see them leaving. So in terms of our our uh, sales every year, so we're a big company. We sell about 15% of all of the secondhand homes in Ireland and over 30% of the homes that we sell every year are landlords exiting. 33% in the last 12 Yeah, months. that's huge, isn't it? It's huge. Can I ask, what is the reason they cite for that? In most instances, they say um, the the return on investment is too low. The challenges in terms of dealing with tenants are particularly hard. Um, and we might have bought the property back in 2006, 2007 to live in ourselves. It didn't meet our needs anymore. And we're actually renting ourselves and we're selling this on. So a lot of landlords, not a lot, but certainly a, a proportion of our landlords are accidental landlords because they didn't intend to buy for that purpose. But others have bought um, and are not seeing the return. And it's very challenging. 
on a day to day maintenance level. So they're leaving. And particularly if they are long term landlords, because the rent that they're getting isn't market rent. So when you hear these gastronomical rents being advertised on daft, that's not what trading rents are. That's not there's no comparison between the two. And they pay 50 percent of it in tax and they pay their mortgage and there isn't a return. So your net yield as a landlord, private landlord in Ireland is probably 2 percent, if even. And they can do better somewhere else with less hassle. Yeah, it just strikes me that the the price of property now has risen significantly say in the last four years, five years, 30, 40, 50 percent. Just looking at the figures, I'm wondering if some of them are, some of them may just be cashing in. I mean, they mm. they have realized a very good capital value now for the property. That, that would they own. presume that a lot of them had bought at the bottom of the market and we didn't see that. So what we would have seen, you know, as the market started to recover around 2012, 2013, fairly nominal levels of investor activity. You have to understand as well that uh, the to buy a property, you either bought with cash or with a fairly high le- um, level of cash in that property because banks weren't really lending to investors at any significant level. So most of the landlords that are exiting bought prior to the bottom of the market. So they bought when prices were a lot higher. Prices fell by 60%. They haven't fully recovered. In fact, in most instances, they're still below what they would have paid if they bought at the heights. So, Well, that was only a very narrow period though, wasn't it? I mean, say between beginning of 2006, end of 2007, it was about a two, maybe three year period. Most of the other properties bought either after that or before that um, seem to at least be at the value that they were at or more. I can bring in a, a, a personal side to all of this because uh, when you speak of accidental landlords, Marion, uh, you're sitting across from one right now. So I would have bought an apartment uh, at the peak, 2006, was delighted with it. But obviously, family circumstances change and you decide, well, you're going to need something a little more family friendly. Um, and of course, there's a recession going on. So I rented out my property in 2012, uh, registered did everything properly and uh, and rented elsewhere. So in the interim, I have found that it is costing me so much to be a private landlord. And the flip side is I'm paying a huge amount in rent, nearly double what the mortgage is on the apartment. And this apartment's pretty close to the city centre as well. Um, and I was left with little or no choice if I ever want to buy again to have the required savings that you need to even get a mortgage in the first place, I would have to sell the property. Now, it's no love lost because, yeah. it, I mean, it, it brings me close to tears month in, month out, mm. just because it's so hard yeah. to be that private landlord. Yeah. And I'm not looking for sympathy. Yeah, but that's, that is such a common story. That is, there is a huge chunk of people who did exactly what you did with the best of intentions and then they have a property that doesn't suit their need. And as you say, you're renting somewhere else, paying a fortune in rent and probably not even receiving enough rent to pay your mortgage on the other property. Can I ask both of you, because mm. I, both of you know a lot more about this than I do from experience or profession. Um, when you say uh, difficulties of being a, a private landlord, I genuinely don't know what they are. Like, can you give me an example? Yeah. So, for example, the w- the way the system is set up, if the, under a rent a room uh, scheme, you're entitled to. Well, it was. I think it was. 10,000 tax free when I started out as a landlord. Mm-hmm. I think it's gone up. Um, 14, yeah, around 14. Um, now, to compare that with, I, I was getting rent off um, just over 11,000. Um, and 
and paying, you know, the the 52% tax on that. Now, if I was renting a room and getting 10 grand tax free, it's not a level playing field in any sense of the word, um, Adrian. On top of that as well, I mean, you have a duty of care to the people you're renting the place out to. I mean, I would have, I would have been, because I'm renting myself, I would be, have been very careful and cautious to make sure that all the requirements of me were boxes ticked year in, year out. And that means, you know, making sure that the boiler is is checked every single year. Various little things. So that like kind of stuff. Safety. Yeah. And then you get a call to say that the washing machine isn't working or the dishwasher isn't working or there's a leak in the bathroom. That's your responsibility on top of the responsibility of your own family home. So it does become quite a chore. And it isn't that, uh, that in terms of what you can write off against tax, it's quite limited. So people are maybe getting 12, whatever thousand a year in terms of rental income, giving half of it to the government, paying their mortgage and being left either topping up the mortgage themselves uh, in order to keep a property that's over, that they bought for a very high price. So not surprisingly, when prices have improved and we saw as we came out of the recovery initially in 13, 14, 15, a little bit of, of price rises in Dublin, quite significant, a burst around 8, 10%. Then they levelled out. We didn't see any price inflation until really the last two years post-COVID where we've seen a lift again. So, in fact, getting back to what you paid for, you're probably not there yet, I hate to tell you, um, or you might be getting close to it. But it's taken from 2006 to 2022 yeah. of, of, or, you know, or 2007. Although, although to be fair, we did say in 2006 and 2007 that prices were ridiculous, like they were inflated to a point that most of us thought was unsustainable and unreasonable. So there's always this odd conversation that we have nationally yeah. over the, the pros and cons of getting back to that Nobody pricing Nobody wants to get level. back to that. Yeah. No, no, yeah. I'm not suggesting I think it would be a, not, not a good thing. I don't think we should get back to it. But if I bought a house in 2006, I might want to get back to it. Yeah. But I don't think that certainly... From my perspective as an economist looking at the marketplace, getting back to that is not what this is about, but it's to explain why people would feel the need to sell the property. That's the purpose of what I'm yeah. saying. And also, I have to say, like, the, you know, the 30-year-old me was was crumbling under the pressure of everyone must buy, you have to buy now, you have to buy now, do it quickly. It's similar to what, you know, younger generations are going through right now. We're, we're all guilty of that. We're guilty of that in the media. Mm. We're guilty of that culturally. The very phrase, you know, a rung on the ladder. Yeah. yeah. Which was the, you know, that was the go-to phrase at the time. Um, we, we absolutely encouraged in this country, we always have, we still do this idea that is generally a very positive thing to buy a property in your 20s. And I'm not sure whether we're quite as wedded to that now as we were 20 years ago, but I, I get the sense that we kind of are. And that, of course, puts pressure on people. And I think that sort of leads in through in, in terms of how um, policymakers deal with the, the market now. People are buying in their 20s now and actually the age is going up because we lost a whole, you know, decade nearly people weren't buying that very many properties but all if you think about if somebody starts talking about the property market they go with the poor first-time buyers and I'm not being disrespectful to first-time buyers but we forget about what happens before you're a first-time buyer the poor person who can't rent so we have a situation now where we are asking our our network of of uh, our branch network is fully open, has been for most of, of the last two years. But for back office or for head office or for a lot of professional services companies, they're starting to say to their staff, we need you to come back into the office now. And they may be working from home from anywhere. 
and you're asking them to come back to the cities, to Dublin, Cork, Limerick and go in the main or anywhere actually and, and acquire accommodation and it's not available to them. So when Matt, I think that will we'll really, really start to see the pressure of that when we get into the fourth quarter of this year because most companies, I can hear the big, even the big tech companies are saying, we need you in three days a week. That means you need somewhere to rent. Yeah. yeah and even if we take that whole Airbnb story and flip it on its other side and say, oh, maybe there's a solution for the rental crisis in Airbnb. But hotel rooms are causing us massive problems yeah. in Ireland at the moment because they're so competitively high. So Airbnb is maybe softening that a little bit. I so mean, on, on the Airbnb figures, so there are some other figures that add to the context of that. So Airbnb says, for example, that the majority of the rooms of the properties rented are actually outside Dublin. Yeah. They tend to be holiday lets and right. that tends to be outside Dublin. They also say the two thirds of the people actually renting them are Irish. Yeah. So it's not as if the vast majority are from the UK or the US or Germany or France taking out Airbnb. Most of them, according to Airbnb, are Irish people renting in rural areas or non-urban areas of Ireland. Yeah. So that again puts, is a little bit of a narrative disruptor when mm. it comes to the conversation we have about Airbnb is sucking all of the you know, re urban rental property out of uh, the rental market. And Marion's point is well taken. If you do clamp down on Airbnb, uh, as some politicians are suggesting, uh, in total good faith, by the way, um, you then have a hotel room crisis at the moment as we speak. That One of the news stories this week and last week is the high price of hotels. Take the Airbnb stock out. And what happens to hotel prices? They go up even more. So, I mean, I think, you know, this debate is is one we've been having, unfortunately, for a very long, <clears throat> a very long time. But what we need to now do is probably stand back and say, so if we reopen our economy and if we are at full employment, which we are, and if everyone goes back to the location which they work to seek accommodation, what will happen next? And it really is a point where people will say, I can't come back to the office. I can only work from home because I can't acquire accommodation. So we need to do something pretty significant and pretty quickly to address that. And what we've been suggesting for quite some time is, is to say, forget about, you know, branding people as landlords, but people who own accommodation that they are willing to rent to somebody else. Can we stop disincentivizing them? So can we ensure that that process isn't as complex as it is? Can we provide a greater level of, of tax relief on that? So instead of paying 52% tax, if you were paying 25% tax or 30% tax on that, that could be a game changer for a lot of people who'd say, actually, it's OK now, I can leave that accommodation available in the marketplace. And I think what's probably really pertinent now, for the first time, and I've been doing the job that I do for over 25 years, every single time we've had a movement up or down in the housing market in the past, it was led by Dublin. Now, the market, both in terms of price inflation and rental inflation, has been led by rural Ireland. Because where we have been building any houses in the past eight years or so, we've been building them in the urban areas, really only Dublin, the Mideast and Cork. And that market is a tiny bit more stable than everywhere else. And because people have, you know, gone home, wherever that is, um, to rent their props, soaking up even more accommodation in rural Ireland. So we do have a national rental crisis and it is that and it really needs to be. It's, it's a whole accommodation crisis. We have a crisis for people to buy, but we have perhaps an even bigger crisis for people to rent. We can talk about a rental crisis and a housing crisis and there is one. 
there is not actually, when I talk to the CEOs of big tech companies coming into Dublin now, they do not talk about accommodation as a problem. Why? Because so many of their staff, to them, three grand a month is not an issue. But that I is think, not a problem. Yeah, I think though, with respect, Adrian, there still is only so many of them available as well. And I think they will have a problem when well, everybody well, starts Presumably they're pushing, they're part of the uh, the dynamic that puts so much pressure well, within the context of the market that we have, we mm. haven't been building. If you think about, so PRS came into our in 2013. For the first five or six years, they were acquiring accommodation that was actually full, fully occupied accommodation. Mm. They are now forward funding accommodation, which is being built. And we are seeing that coming through in terms of planning permissions. But it's only starting to be built. So there isn't vast quantities of very expensive properties. So if you're at the really prime of your career, you will probably will find accommodation. But if you come in and say, I'd like to live in Dublin too, I'd like a gym nearby, which is acceptable in New York or in Paris or in anywhere else, you're going to find there's nothing available that ticks all of your boxes. And you could still be quite some time looking for something. If you come with your family and you want a home for two years because you're just being placed in Ireland, I can tell you that's very thin on the ground. So it isn't that if you're rich, you can get accommodation. It isn't It isn't even as simple as that. There is no accommodation. That yeah. is the big problem. Like a journalist who works in this sector, this has been one of the guiding questions I've had for the last, probably for the last four or five years, because it is our national conversation. Housing has dominated mm. Irish p- political commentary for the last three years, at least. It's a question, it's now a standard question I always put to them. Is housing a problem in Dublin? Almost always they say no. And almost always it's because they have schemes in place. Some of them actually buy properties. They will buy. Google is building, you know, apartment blocks. Now, as it happens, that's not for their employees. That's actually for people in the locality. They're doing that as a kind of almost a philanthropic uh, thing. But and I take your point about the you know the the entire number of properties not uh, not being available uh, or or being quite small. But for those on a certain income, if I go on to Daft right now, which is really what we're talking about, the asset mm. test, and I check uh, rental properties, there are minimum dozens that are available. They're three grand. They're thirty five hundred. Mm. That's not a problem for me if I'm working. But if you company. walk into an office sector now, how occupied is it? Probably thirty percent. So Ooh, that's if, well, if you walk into Meta or uh, or Google, they're now almost all of them are on two to three days a week. They're working towards three days up. In same with Apple in mm. Cork. That's a really strong dynamic. I'm not sure about um, about uh, you know uh, estate agents. We're starting to feel in here. Yeah. We're starting to feel little nudges to come back in the office yeah. as well. And then just let that yep. build up for the yep. next six months. So I think this is the start. This is my point. It's the start of it. So somebody might say, I'm two days a week. I'll come up and I'll, I'll stay with my brother. But when it's five days a week or four days a week, they're going to need accommodation. So I do think it's a much bigger story than even we're seeing now. I think it's it should be part of the political debate. I do think there's a fear about being seen to incentivize either developers or landlords, but they're essential. They're providing accommodation. I think we need to forget that and think about the poor people who are trying to rent and how can we solve the problem for them. And my thanks there to Adrian Weckler, tech editor of the Irish and Sunday Independent, and Marion Finnegan, managing director of Sherry Fitzgerald. I'm Siobhan McGuire, and today's episode was presented and produced by myself, researched by Tabitha Monaghan, recorded by Gavin Hennessy, with sound design by John Smith. 
If you enjoy the Indo Daily, don't forget to like, follow and leave us a review.